and then even after you write it and you think it's okay enough to go to the market, it's not like one of your partner's videos. I mean, it's hard to get a book out there and publishers don't do that much. So it was, I would say it was knife fighting. It was hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was um, literally begging people to, to read it, to buy it for their company, uh, calling in favors. And then, and then it caught, got some momentum and then it got somebody like you uh, to read it. And so, so it, you know, if you're out there and you're thinking of doing a book and you think it's going to be easy. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Joe DeSena, founder and CEO of the Spartan Race, Spartan.com. If you missed part one, please go back and hear about the great races and, and um, all the things that uh, he's done to get to this point. Joe, I think my first question for part two here is, you know, uh, while you were busy trying to climb stairs with your kettlebell and everything, he and I were sitting here watching your interview with Richard Branson and you know you've got this uh, YouTube channel it's, I think you've got 14 million views and it's it's become such a phenomenon I, I see people wear your shirts like it's a badge of honor um, can you can you talk about your philosophy when it comes to marketing um, first of all I'm an idiot I am um, I'm, I'm a Flintstone when it comes to technology and all this stuff but Things that really jumped out at me early on when, when we got into this business, because my previous businesses didn't require all this digital stuff, were, holy smokes, if I could buy a billboard that stayed up forever on the side of a highway, right? If, if, if we could buy a billboard that stayed up forever, um, that would be an interesting proposition for a company because it's always there. You don't have to pay month. Like, just put it up and it stays forever. If I could buy a billboard that stays up forever and follows the car around, wow, that's even more interesting, right? So it became obvious to me that digital is incredible because I can, I can follow you and present this billboard in front of your face, uh, hopefully at the opportune time. Now, now let's go back to what we said earlier. I'm selling hard work, I'm selling commitment, I'm selling challenge, I'm selling something that's really hard to sell. So even putting that billboard in front of you at that moment um, doesn't necessarily get you to commit because it's going to require you to go to bed earlier. It's going to require you to put the, the wine, the extra glass of wine down. So now I got to create videos in that billboard that hopefully inspire you to push the button. But the reality is nine out of 10 of you are not going to push the button. So what I found was, and, and uh, this is no different, uh, who was the author, uh, slips my mind, of Freakonomics and... Um, yep. Yeah, I know who you're talking uh, about. The connectors, right? The early adopters he talks about. Oh, the Malcolm um, Gladwell. Ma Malcolm Gladwell. Um, how do I appeal with those videos and that traveling billboard to the th what Malcolm Gladwell calls these these connectors, these early adopters? And um, and it just naturally happened. There was nothing genius we did. We made good video. We put it all over the digital ecosystem. We followed people. We weren't even sophisticated on who we followed. I think it was so interesting to folks. They heard my uh, authenticity, which you described earlier, and a couple of them decided to come out. And then, and then we had a product that was incredible. What's great about our product is the worse it is, the better it is. So, like, you can't um, 
oh my God, this was terrible. You, how are you going to complain? Our whole message is Spartan up. <laughs> There's nothing you can complain about, right? So our NPS scores are ridiculous, off the charts, only things you know Apple would dream of, uh, because nobody's allowed to complain. Um, and, and, and so great content. Now the problem is, the problem is, the reason Google, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, et cetera, the reason these valuations are so tremendous, Amazon, for these companies is because they've got, they've cornered the market. And so it gets more and more expensive for me, for us, to present that really cool content um, to people throughout the digital ecosystem. So that's a challenge. But, but I, you know, I'm, we're not that smart. Uh, my team is. I'm not that smart. Um, and we didn't do anything earth-shattering. We, we create great content. We hang out with people like Richard Branson. We're completely authentic. Uh, we try to get it in front of you. You come out. It's completely transformable, trans transformational. And so then you invite uh, 20 friends to the next race. That's it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny how much you talk about content. I think one of my favorite of our 300 episodes we've done so far um, was uh, Joe Paluzzi, who started the Content Marketing Institute. And, yeah. you know, his latest book, The Killing Marketing One, he says, like, basically, quit making fluffy content marketing and make stuff so good you're competing with the mainstream media. And, you know, I'm looking at your website and you've got people overcoming cancer and Cressa Peterson here, you know, at 51, who's doing this stuff. And then your, you know, your podcast, you've got Gary Vaynerchuk and Tim Ferriss and Richard Branson. And, and it is, you know, it is of a quality that, you know, I, I'm happy to watch this instead of something on entrepreneur.com or business insider or something like this. Like, um, can you talk about the idea of, you know, maybe not just making a post for a post sake so you can have ha more output, but the, the quality that you're, you're doing here? Well, I think, I think it's, I think it's not exactly as you described because the quality of the content is, is not, is not in the production. Um, and I don't think that's what you're saying, right? Because because I do. I just had this conversation early this morning with my team, which is um, in this world we've got to move faster and higher production uh, value stuff, stuff that um, NBC would do or whatever, which is overpriced and ridiculous and and too polished. Uh, we can't move fast enough. So you could shoot all this stuff on a phone, but just make sure that the people in in the in the frame are Richard Branson, Gary Vee. Um, cancer survivors, et cetera. So the content, am I saying this correct? You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's like the, that's what I mean is like the intrinsic quality of the message. I'm not saying the production yeah. value. I'm saying that like I watch that and I might actually do something different because I watched that. I wasn't just passing time. Wait until you see what I have coming. I can't, I can't even give you a sneak look. Wait until you see our next iteration of content that's coming. We're going to really um, shake things up. Okay, we'll have to have you back on the show after that's out, and you can tell us about it. I would it. love it. My team right now is in Africa, by the way. We are we are um, with a bunch of Kenyan runners that we uh, we're building obstacles for them and trying to get some of the fastest runners in the world to our races. Um, and we're filming that, so that's fun content. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, as as you uh, look at your entrepreneurial career and, and some of the things you've learned, what are what do you, would you say are some of the key lessons like if you had to say here are the three things i would tell any entrepreneur or someone who's wanting to do something that puts them outside their comfort zone uh what would be those couple of things what would be the things i would tell an entrepreneur to get themselves out of the comfort zone in business yeah yeah just to motivate or, or like the key lessons you've learned during your career that you would want to pass on to to maybe someone who's just starting 
Well, I would say the number one mistake I see most entrepreneurs make is they focus on the wrong things. The only thing that matters is sales. Um, make sure you've got uh, an incredible product, make sure you're making sales. I see lots and lots, actually most people, the majority of people focus on um, tweaking it. The same way you and I talked earlier about uh, folks that sit still and can't get going and, and discuss and pontificate and analyze uh, going to do a race someday and never actually do it, uh, most, most business people do that. And so my experience, there's lots of different experiences, lots of ways to do this, my experience has been just start selling first. Make sure you've got people that are paying you, that are uh, engaged with the product. You could always iterate, make the product better, but um, don't sit around and uh, work something to death before you even know. If you, because the marketplace is going to give you feedback, and you're going to adjust yeah. and edit and pivot. And so um, I'm, I'm a big fire-ready aim guy. That's great. What, why do you think... Uh that's such a challenge for entrepreneurs. Like, well, what is it in, in us that makes us want to just sit and perfect things first? I'll tell you why. It's really simple. You don't want to start, you don't want to put your shoes on and start running. Like, like I have my kids, my kids each have a, a little business um, that I, that I basically forced them to start. <laughs> and um, they have to go out on the beach during the summer and they got to try to sell their products, their t-shirts or hats. Like it's hard. You go up to 92 people and 91 of them say no. Right. That's why entrepreneurs don't want to. They, you don't want to really. You don't want to actually start feeling pain for 4K into the 5K. So you don't start. You don't do it. Um, but it's it it is the most important thing to do. Can you make the sale now? Three or four or ten or a hundred or even a thousand people are not going to kill your product if it's not perfect. You're going to learn and you edit right and and um, and you just iterate as you're moving as you're gaining momentum. But you don't sit around and and do nothing and discuss the launch that you might be doing in the future, the race you, you might do. No, I, my advice, you know, maybe maybe smarter people than me would give you different advice. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And I, I think that's something uh, I notice, it's almost an addiction to daydreaming. I have friends who are always, oh, I'm gonna start this and I'm gonna do this. And I'm, and, and it's like, yeah, but you're just addicted to the daydream. You're, you're, not, you're not addicted. I, I've noticed when you start selling and people start telling me no, there's that piece of me that's like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like, I, I'm going to go do it, and then I'm going to come back and show you, yeah, I went and did it, and you said I couldn't. Um, and I think that's another power of, of starting to sell that kind of awakens that, that competitor in, in each entrepreneur that's like, okay, you just told me it's impossible, and that awakens this part of me that, that's like, I don't believe that it's impossible, so I'm going to go do it and prove you wrong. So I Exactly. Think that's, that's awesome. You know, Thinking about this idea of, of sales and, you know, it's pretty hard for somebody to buy something from us if they don't know we exist, right? And so getting the word out, the content you're doing, you know, your podcast is, has done so well. You know, Jay makes these Dollar Shave Club kind of videos at his agency creatively. They've got, you know, Jay's got 200 million views for his customers out there um, wow. across all these YouTube videos he's made. Uh, but one of the things I'm really fascinated with is books. I... I have recommended Spartan Up to so many people. I'm a real audiobook nerd. I've done maybe, I don't know, 900 audiobooks in the last 12 years. And yours wow. is so high up there for me. I've, I've got all sorts of people to read it. Um, there are so many books created every year, and so few have the success that yours have had. Um, what, what kind of insights to that part of the content game do you have? Um, 
I mean, Spartan Up, the, the first book, I just was writing my story. So there was no, um, again, it goes back to that authenticity. If I don't know if anybody was going to read it. Um, I even had a tough time reading it, right? Because it's my own story. Um, and I had to read it 500 times to try to edit it. Um, I, and then even after you write it and you think it's okay enough to go to the market, it's not like one of your partner's videos. I mean, it's hard to get a book out there and publishers don't do that much. So it was, I would say it was knife fighting. It was hand to hand combat. It was, um, literally begging people to, to read it, to buy it for their company, uh, calling in favors. And then, and then it caught, got some momentum and then it got somebody like you, uh, to read it. And so, so it, you know, if you're out there and you're thinking of doing a book and you think it's going to be easy, uh, I would say uh, think twice. I'd rather you go run a race <laughs> because <laughs> because a book a book is hard work and um, and that's just the beginning. I mean, you got to write the book for it, right? Like then you got to market the damn thing, and there's nobody out there that helps you. Maybe I would have did one of those Dollar Shave uh, Club videos had I known your partner. <laughs> Maybe it would have helped me sell the book. <laughs> You know, uh, I love it. Well, maybe going a slightly different direction. For those of us who are entrepreneurs, who are goers, um, yeah. I, I've been thinking about a quote. You had an Epictetus quote in Spartan Up about this idea of, and I wish I could quote it verbatim, but it was about distraction. And it was about this idea of that we, we basically let ourselves get distracted and go to lesser things by not having focus on the best things. Can you talk yeah. about, you know, folks like me with ADD that keep saying, well, I could do that one too. Let's, you know, instead of like knocking this domino f over first and then starting the next business, starting three at once kind of stuff. Can you talk about the discipline to stick with what you're doing until you get that one done? Yeah. You know, um, there is a time when you're supposed to pivot. Um, uh, but it's a really, that's a really tough one. It, it's kind of like quitting a race, right? Um, or, or in your example, you're, the question you're asking, quitting, when, when do you pivot? When do you quit? A business or do you just stick with it till no, the end and i'm saying my, my question is i've got something it's working and then i get like the shiny penny syndrome and it's like squirrel oh let's do that one too and instead of like sticking with what i've got until it's over the finish line i i take on too many things when realistically that's probably not a good strategy yeah i i have the same syndrome i think a, a lot of um, entrepreneurs have that syndrome and but I always go back to like, what are my big rocks? I got to get done today. I got to get done this week. I got to get done this month, this year. And, and do they align? Like my mind just works this way. Do they align with the goal uh, in question or, or the mission? And, and for us, it's getting 100 million people healthy. So if, if that shiny thing pops up and it doesn't align with these things I got to check off and get done, which, which ultimately ladders up to getting 100 million, I'm probably not going to do it. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an instinctual entrepreneur. I'll be in Hawaii uh, at one of our races and I see an opportunity for a business. There's a piece of land for sale and I could turn it into a surf park or whatever. Like, and I have to slap myself. No, it does not align with, <laughs> with and ladder up to the things that we're, so, so uh, I think we're very, we're all uh, like that. And, and you just have to have this pyramid. And, and if that pyramid doesn't feel good anymore, if changing 100 million lives doesn't feel good anymore and you really want to, uh, build surf parks, well then sell that thing or give it to somebody, do something, right? And focus on that, that the next thing, because, because multi, multitasking uh, th uh, businesses or, or projects that aren't aligned and, and are indifferent, like you got to hand it to Elon Musk. I mean, rockets, cars, uh, 
digging holes. That's <laughs> unbelievable, <laughs> right? Yeah. But 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 um but who knows? Maybe maybe the stock would be five hundred dollars if he wasn't doing rockets and uh, and boring holes, right? Yeah. That's I think great advice for all of us with the uh, entrepreneurial ADD that we all have. Um, as you were talking earlier about kind of working with your kids, I saw a great Gary V video where he was kind of telling the same thing, same same kind of idea where he he's he's telling people, you know, tell your kids either to go start a business and they have until July fourth this summer to to make two thousand dollars, or go work at Walmart and learn what it's like, uh, you know, to work a really tough not tough but like a a job that's not gonna, um fulfill you and, and what what do you see as a parent how do you instill some of those values um how do you motivate your children uh to to push themselves and and really get outside of their comfort zone uh tough to do the jury's still out we won't know till my oldest is you know 17 or 18 he's 13 now um but I, again, I think back to myself. I think back to when I was in my preteens. I had a business. I started to learn all these things. I started to get feedback from customers, people that didn't pay me because I did a bad job, people that did pay me because I had a good job, people that recommended me. And how do I take the good and instill that in the children and leave out the bad? And, um, yeah, hard to do because they're not growing up in the same time and place uh, that we did. Um I think I think what you got to do is and 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 by the way I sound like a tough parent. My kids ran a marathon at eight years old, uh, seven years old. They ran like my kids work out every single day. They're allowed to watch TV as long as it's a Mandarin. I'm tough, and I'm still a pussycat. I'm still a kitten <laughs> when it comes because they're my kids and I love them. And but but uh, I you know a guy gave me great advice when I had my first. I said he said you're going to be faced with decisions all day every day with kids. Always choose the hard way. That's and I think that's advice. I think that's it in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, I know we're kind of winding down here for part two. You obviously, you know, get interviewed by the media a lot, 60 Minutes and Forbes and all this stuff. What's the question people aren't asking you? What's a, what's a soapbox thing that you would like to talk about more that maybe doesn't come up as often? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I feel like I'm talking all day, every day. So I don't, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, what do I want to talk about more? I love to talk about kids. Not a lot of people ask me about kids, so thank you for that. Um, I do love talking about business. We covered that. I mean, here's a here's a here's a, here's a silly one. Um, I think uh, I think we should let's get into burpees. I'm sure I've talked about it with everybody, but we'll talk about it. Uh, let's talk about kettlebells. How's that? <laughs> okay. I think you should ask me. We should talk about everybody should be carrying a frigging kettlebell. Um, it sounds ridiculous, but like. Think about the number one reason why people don't, well, I don't have time. I don't go to a gym. I don't have time. I don't have a gym membership. If we all carried around a little weight, it could be 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, 45 pounds in my case. Um, think about how much healthier the whole country would be, right? It seems ridiculous at, at first glance, but that's just because not a lot of people are doing it yet. But, um, but if we carried around a heavy weight, we all walk a couple of miles a day, even inactive, you, right? You walk a couple of miles a day. You take the stairs and you've got this weight that you're carrying around and you're able to lift over your head. I've done a few, I've done a few things with the kettlebell here while I've been on the phone with you. So, <laughs> okay. So here's right. what, here's what you need to hire Jay's firm to make your dollar shave club video. The Spartan race branded kettlebell that that's like goes with your briefcase, you know, that where you, you take your, you take your bag, you take your computer bag and your kettlebell everywhere. 
You, this is this is the birth of this people. I am um, I'm happy to do a video, but but <laughs> my kettlebell my kettlebell has been to a hundred countries, and every country treats it differently. Interesting. In the United States, they don't care. They just throw it on the belt. And what happens on the belt, you can imagine, it then rolls down the angled belt down below. It smashes into the stainless steel carousel. It almost takes out a customs officer. I've had it happen. Versus you're in Japan, and they wrap it beautifully in <laughs> bubble wrap, and they box it. And then a beautiful, petite woman carries it feverishly over to a cart, right? Or you're in the Middle East, and they mumble to you in some language that means, like, it's up to God whether or not you'll see the kettlebell again. <laughs> <laughs> or in India, they stick it in somebody else's suitcase. Not kidding. And um, they point to the suitcase, and you have to find that suitcase when you get to the other side before the person that owns the suitcase finds it and finds that everything in it is smashed because the kettlebell's inside. So... That's the video. And, and by the way, it's like we're not even making it up. That's what I experience on a daily basis. And and then how many times they, I've lost 12 kettlebells, literally. They they lose them. And Boston is um is the culprit. Boston, they I think there's a guy there collecting there's probably a gym being built right built right near the friggin' Boston airport from my kettlebells. I love it. Okay, well, I'm seeing the Spartan wall ball. I'm seeing the mat rollers. I'm, I'm hoping to see kettlebells here on the Spartan.com website sometime soon. Let's do it. Okay, listen, this has been great. We really appreciate your time. Any, any closing comment, any advice you would have given a younger version of yourself, or what do you want to close with here? Younger version of myself, eat less processed food, train seven days a week, and save your money. Love it. Okay, everybody, go to Spartan.com and, uh, and commit. Sign up. Thanks again, Joe. See you, bud.